Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. On the 20th of October 1941, Hitler signed a directive to turn the Channel Islands into an impregnable fortress. He built concrete structures in Jersey, Guernsey, Alderney, in the Channel Islands to defend against an invasion from the Allied forces. And then at the end of World War II, on the 8th of May, 1945, victory was declared in Europe and the UK, but it took another day for Jersey to be liberated and for the Nazis to be taken away from Jersey's shores. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because we are celebrating this great Liberation Day in Jersey. It's a big deal. We were under occupation in Jersey for uh, almost five years, and it was a very difficult time. But the thing I want to talk to you today about is those impregnable fortresses. If you walk around the coasts of the Channel Islands, you will see these huge concrete structures. Some of them are gun turrets or cannon mounts, which would fire weapons out into the sea. Some of them are underground bunkers or just big walled structures to protect. And the amount of concrete used was extraordinary. I don't know if you've heard about the Atlantic Wall. This was Hitler's idea to build an, a wall from the top of Scandinavia all the way down to the bottom of Europe to protect against invasion from England and America. And out of all of those fortresses that he built, the whole Atlantic Wall, 10% of the concrete was used in the Channel Islands. Of all the rock that was quarried and used to make that Atlantic Wall, almost half was in the Channel Islands. The Channel Islands were so heavily fortified, over 300 of these huge concrete structures. And when you walk around Jersey and Guernsey and Alderney today, you can see these structures. They have now become a tourist attraction. In fact, there's an underground hospital in Jersey where people come from all over the world to see these buildings and these fortresses. And in this case, an underground hospital that were made by the Germans during World War II. And the thing that really struck me when I came to Jersey and I first saw these structures, first of all, was how many there are. They're, they're all over the place and they are very visible. But then I thought about how much time and money and effort was put into building these structures to defend the Channel Islands against an invasion. You can imagine the worry and the planning and the concern and fear in the Germans' hearts when they were building these structures. They bought, brought over 20,000 men, many of whom were slave laborers from the Ukraine. They brought them into the Channel Islands to build these structures. They spent multiplied millions building these structures and all the, the amount of concrete and, and rock that went into building them, the effort. Over 300 people died in the building of these structures. It was a mammoth exercise. And all the effort and concern and worry, they would have thought, we're about to be invaded. We're about to be attacked. We've got to prepare ourselves. And the thing that really struck me was the fact that the attack never happened. It never came. 
They were never even on the English or the Allied forces plan to be attacked. Uh, Churchill decided that the Channel Islands were better to just look after themselves and he would rather win the war by attacking in other places. And he was right and they won the war. But the fact that they put so much effort, so much money, so much time into building a fortress that was never used, it just occurred to me how similar that is to you and I. How many times have you, my friend, built up a fortress against somebody, or you've anticipated a, a, a war or a fight or a conflict, a disagreement with someone, and you've rehearsed in your mind how you're going to answer them and, and what you're going to say and what they may say, and, and you've built up this hard shell around yourself and around your heart to say, I've got to be ready in case I am attacked. And then the attack never came. They walked through the door, they had a smile on their face, and all of your answers and planned arguments just fade away into nothing. And you think, what a waste of time and energy that was. How much time have I spent building up a wall for something that never occurred? I wonder out of all the things we've worried about in our lives, how many of them have actually occurred? I think very, very, very few. And then the second thing is when we have built up these defenses, Often they remain in our hearts. So you may have imagined a threat or you may have faced a very real threat and something bad happened to you. But either way, those hard defenses, those concrete fortifications, uh, those strongholds in our lives remain. And sometimes for years, decades after, we find that our lives are still being impacted by a perceived threat or conflict or by an actual bad event that happened. And actually, my news for you today, dear friend, is in God, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, He paid the price on the cross. The Bible says the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. Because of Christ, there is a way for us, A, not to be hyper-defensive, not to worry and fear and prepare for an attack that never comes. That's the first thing, so that we are open, happy, peaceful people. And then the second thing is if bad things have happened and we've had to put up a wall or a defense, the Bible gives us the tools, God's spirit and his power within us and upon us help us to overcome those things so that they become a source of strength instead of a prison that can entomb us. You know, Jersey has turned these fortifications that were built under duress, under hardship, forced labor, uh, with slaves being forced to do it, and many of whom were killed. Jersey has turned those into something beautiful. You can look around the island and you can see that they have been changed into a tourist attraction and something that is lovely and attractive. And in our lives, God has the ability of turning what was bad into what was good. If you're watching this on TV or on the internet, I want to say to you, it's not a coincidence that you're watching because you will have gone through hardships in your life. And because of the way the world is, 
all of us have built up these defenses and these protections to guard our hearts. And it makes us a little bit difficult to get on with sometimes. It makes us very defensive and we, we are reluctant to commit or to trust. Or it makes us an aggressive person where we attack first just in case the other person is going to attack us. And I want to say to you today, in God and only in God, is there healing and is there a way through this so that you can find peace and your relationships can be fruitful and blessed. Let me read you a few scriptures about this. But before I do, I want to just touch on the story of Joseph. I'm not going to read the whole story. It's in the book of Genesis. Joseph's brother, uh, sorry, Joseph's father, Jacob, who's also called Israel, was married to two women. He wanted to marry Rachel, but he was tricked into marrying her sister Leah. Uh, Leah had 10 sons. Rachel had two. And uh, Jacob was bitter about the fact that he was tricked. And so he loved and preferred Rachel and her children to Leah's children. And so there was this wall built up in his heart. And as soon as Joseph was born to his favorite wife, he favored Joseph. He lavished gifts on him and praise on him. And he rejected some of his other brothers. And so there were walls being built up in the brothers' hearts. Joseph grew up and he knew he was the favorite. He had this special coat or tunic that was all colorful, uh, but his brothers reacted badly against him. And so he started building up walls and all of these relationships had fortifications building up amongst them. It came to a head when Joseph's father sent him out to, to give a message to the other brothers. They were sent out to work and Joseph stayed at home in the nice, comfortable house. And he sent him out to give them a message and they attacked him. They threw him in a pit. He was abducted by slave traders and taken away to a far country, put in prison. And he had many years of hardship and pain. And the brothers then told their father that a wild animal had killed Joseph. And so more walls built up and more pain and more fear. Eventually, Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And when there's a famine in the whole region, Joseph is the one who controls the food supply so that he can help people who are starving. And his brothers come all the way from Israel to Egypt to get food. And they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And he puts up these hard walls and he makes it difficult for them. And he makes them leave one of their brothers behind in prison. And he asks them to bring their other brother, who's the other son of Rachel, Benjamin, to him. And, and there's all this difficulty in the relationships. Eventually they come, their father comes as well. And, and it seems to be that things have been restored, although you can tell there's still pain and difficulty. Joseph names his children names that have the word pain or difficulty in them. Uh, he, one of his children is called, you made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Uh, he's really got pain and bitterness and, and fortifications. And then right at the end, Israel or Jacob, Joseph and his brother's father dies and the brothers are still fearful. They say, you know, we treated Joseph so badly. We still have to put up these fortifications because now that dad is gone, he's now going to punish us. And eventually Joseph forgives them. He, he had forgiven them, but he hugs them and he, he 
reassures them and tells them, no, it's okay. And he says something in Genesis 50. He says, what you meant for evil, God has turned for good so that all these people can be fed and looked after. And he shows that there is healing and restoration. But it took years, decades of pain, of hurt, of misunderstanding, of broken relationships because of the fortifications. But in God, there is a way for restoration. So let me read you a few verses that will help to show you, first of all, how we are supposed to be able to relate to one another and react. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. There's supposed to be this openness and this kindness, which is the opposite of having these big concrete blocks of bitterness, fear, anger, aggression, mistrust. We're supposed to have kindness, humility, tender mercy, tender mercy, not hard concrete, but tender love. He says, bear with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Can you see how that's the opposite of having these these concrete structures in our hearts of, of mistrust, of skepticism, of defensiveness, of aggression, of a lack of openness and commitment? We have love, we have peace, we have thankfulness. You say, I can never be there. I've had so much pain in my life. Or the the threats that I thought would come were real. People did real things against me. And I want to show you that in Christ, you can have healing. 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter. And it says, love is patient, love is kind. These descriptive words are the opposite of having big fortresses in your heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> Those wrongs that were done can be forgotten and forgiven. Uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And then this last little verse, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, love always protects, always trusts, as opposed to being skeptical. Always hopes, hopes for the best in the other person, as opposed to assuming they're going to attack you. And it always perseveres. It always stays open and loving. Now, you may say to me, does that mean we are supposed to just trust everyone? What about the evil people? What about the, the bad things that are out there? Should I, should I not lock my house at night or when I go on holiday? Should I, should I not be aware of danger around me? And when Jesus was sending his disciples out, he said to them, be as wise as serpents, but as innocent or as harmless as doves. What he was saying is there is a balance where we are aware. We are as wise as serpents. We are aware of the dangers and the reality of a fallen and broken world. We are fully aware of it. We are savvy. We are streetwise. We know that people are trying to harm us and trick us. And all the pitfalls that can happen and we read the fine print and we we take the the necessary precautions for all the different dangers out there. He says, be as wise as serpents. Don't be foolish. Don't be gullible. Don't be silly. Be as wise as serpents. But be as harmless or as innocent as a dove. In other words, keep your heart tender, 
pure, soft, open, so that even though you are taking the precautions, it is not motivated by bitterness or by fear or by anger, but rather you are motivated by love and by faith and by joy. You say, is that possible? Is that balance really real? And you'll see it in Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, he was fully aware that the people around him, many of them wanted to kill him or to attack him or to uh, somehow dishonor him. And yet he reacted with wisdom and he knew when they were trying to trick him and he, he wasn't taken in by their, their schemes. And yet he loved them. And in fact, he died for them. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. It is possible to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. So let me just speak about a few of these wrong motivations. Fear is one. Many of us are motivated by fear. We've had a bad experience or we've heard of someone else having a bad experience. And so we are motivated by fear. And the Bible says, do not fear. Someone says it's over 365 times we're told, do not fear. I've never counted myself, but it is a, a phrase in the Bible that is repeated again and again. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And rather trust, have faith because we have a big God who loves us and his promises are true and he's promised to protect us. He's promised that nothing, no trial or temptation will come upon you except what you can bear. And even when you are tested, God will provide a way out for you so that you can stand up under it. Fear is not of God and we can be careful without being fearful and so we shouldn't respond with fear. We shouldn't build up a concrete fortress of fear, but rather say, I trust my God. He will look after me. And even if the worst should happen and I were to die, I'd be in the arms of God in heaven forever. He will look after my, my loved ones. I have nothing to fear. God is with me. Fear is one of the fortresses we build up. Another one is anger. The Bible speaks of, of wrath, which is, which is extreme emotion and a reactionary anger, outbursts of wrath or anger. And that's what some of us put up is these, these turrets where we say, I'm going to attack you before you get a chance to attack me. And the Bible says, so then, my beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God gives us the ability not to react in anger. Uh, in Ephesians, it says, be angry, but do not sin. And so we can have a, a response to wrong things without it leading us into a sinful reaction where we do attack what is wrong, but we do it out of the right motives and we do it out of love. And importantly, we never attack human beings. We attack ideas and evil spiritual forces. Ephesians 6 tells us we do not wrestle against people, flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. It's ideas and spiritual forces. And so you can have anger, but it's still, it's not a turret or a fortress in your life. It is controlled and it is motivated by love and by God's truth. Prejudice is another one where somebody has hurt us. And so we are prejudiced against that class or that type of people. Maybe it's, it's the opposite gender. Maybe your parent hurt you or, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody's hurt you. And so you have a thing against that type of person, that race, that class, that nationality, whatever it may be. And the Bible gives us the ability to realize God forgave me freely. 
God is no respecter of persons. And so I will not show partiality. James chapter 2 tells us not to show partiality. And then the last one I just want to mention is um, when we judge people's motives, we think we know that they have a bad motive. And it's part of these turrets and these fortresses and fortifications that we put up. We meet someone and they may some, say something as simple uh, as um, what's going on or, or what should we do or how are you or something. And we read into it. Maybe they could have said this. Maybe they meant this. And we start to read in and, and build up these fortresses in our mind and these ideas of all these motives that we think are in their hearts as if we can read their thoughts. And the Bible makes it clear. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. In other words, it says that when God comes, he will judge, and then we'll know the hidden things in people's hearts. But until then, we can't know the hidden things in people's hearts. Paul goes on in this verse to say, uh, do not go beyond what is written. In other words, don't read between the lines. Take things at face value. And only in Christ are we able to do that, where we say, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. I will not judge you or prejudge you or assume or guess and put up fortifications that I think you may be thinking. Um, just two more things. The one is oaths. We, we sometimes make these oaths where somebody has hurt us or we've seen a parent or a family member do something wrong and we say something like, I will never do that to somebody else. And what it is, is it's an oath in our own strength and it's coming out of a place of judgment and bitterness and pain. And that is a fortification. And Jesus said, do not swear. Do not say, I'll swear by this or by that or whatever. Let your yes be yes or your no be no. Because we're supposed to be trusting in God. And when we make these fleshly oaths uh, that are motivated by the wrong things, we are putting up fortifications. And so we should just say, Lord, I trust you that you will never let me get to that place, that you will help me not to be an alcoholic or an abuser or a a liar or whatever it is. And, and you, can, you can discern what's right and wrong without having the bitterness that goes with making a judgment. And then the last thing just about bitterness, uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Falling short of the grace means that we haven't received God's love and God's forgiveness and God's kindness. But then it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. A root of bitterness is where I haven't received God's, God's grace and forgiveness and so I haven't passed it on and I'm still holding a grudge and I'm bitter and I'm angry. And it says it's a root of bitterness, which means it grows and it starts to bear fruit. Sometimes in our emotions, our thoughts, our words, our actions, sometimes in our physical health, when we haven't forgiven, when we haven't received the grace and passed it on, bitterness grows up. Simon the magician came to Peter and John when they were laying hands on people in Acts chapter 8 and said, I want to be able to do this. Let me pay you money. And Peter discerned there was bitterness in his heart. And so he said, you are full of bitterness because bitterness can 
exhibits itself in so many different ways, but it is one of these fortresses where we have not allowed forgiveness, God's forgiveness to us, to flow out to other people. And it says, a root of bitterness can defile many because others pick it up. When someone is bitter or outraged, when someone says, I'm so angry, I'm so upset, uh, this is so wrong, this is bad, there's bitterness in their heart and others pick it up secondhand bitterness or outrage. And so you start building fortifications, not for something that was done for, against you, but done against somebody else. And it defiles many. So what are we going to do with this? We're going to say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross. You took the punishment for my sin and for the sin of the whole world. Lord Jesus, you took the beating and the, the crushing of your body so that I could have peace, so that I could have forgiveness. By your wounds, I am healed. And then, Lord, you rose again and your wounds were healed, but your scars remained, not as bitter scars, but as evidence of victory and forgiveness and love. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that as I look to you, you forgive me, you paid for the sins of the world, and because of you, I can be forgiven, and I can have a gentle, tender heart. I can open my heart to people. I can hope and trust. I can be as wise as a serpent, but as innocent and harmless as a dove. In Jesus' name. Friend, I've just touched on this today, but I want to tell you that just as the beautiful Channel Islands can use the scars of the past to be a beautiful tourist attraction today, the hurts in your life and the perceived hurts can be something that God uses. He says He turns all things and works them all together for good. If you bring it to God, He will give you healing and forgiveness and peace, but He will also allow you to become a healer. We have this saying that hurt people hurt other people. And that is true, but healed people can heal other people. And God wants to use you to heal many. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would heal and restore my friend who's watching. In Jesus' name, amen. Please get in touch with us at leadinglightsnetwork.com. Send us an email, use our app, use our website, and we would love to walk with you through this joyous process of turning hurt into healing and life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.